0: Good morning. I want to thank you, Ashlyn, for reading the scripture today. We have a little bit of extra setup today. Uh, We're going to have uh, fun today. I'm just curious, who has always done a nativity scene? Okay, I was hoping there was more than two of you. Okay, that's like most of us. Uh, So I have a nativity scene over here, and I'm going to be funny today. I'm going to make overgeneralizations about nativity scenes. It's going to be fun, uh, you'll probably agree with me, maybe you won't. So, uh, first of all, in a nativity scene, there's always wise men, okay? First overgeneralization I want to make simply this. Who's ever noticed that it's always the green one kneeling down? Anybody? Maybe you think about it, maybe you think about the one at home. Okay, not always, i got a few like shakings of the head, but it's like three out of four. Okay, I'm just going to say three out of four uh, nativity scenes, the green one is always the one to be kneeling down. So, I don't know if you're wearing green today. I don't know if, like, he's just, like, bowing down to Jesus begging for forgiveness. I don't know what it means. But the green one is always the one kneeling down. It's just funny. Other thing that my mom would always do, how many, of you does, how many of you do this? I got one. Okay, one of you knows the whole story. The wise men never go with the nativity scene. Will somebody tell me why? Yes, I got one. They're traveling, okay? So my mom was always like, you go ten steps. I'm just kidding. Ten steps would be obnoxious. But you put them on the kitchen table, and the nativity scene goes somewhere else, okay? So that's the wise men. after the wise men, we have Joseph and Mary. Okay, this is General... uh, over, sorry, overgeneralization number two, Joseph always has to have a staff. Anybody notice that? Okay, my mom would always be like, it's not a lightsaber, Josh, it's a staff, okay? I couldn't use it as one of my action figures, but Joseph would always have a staff, and then there's baby Jesus, Okay. This is where things begin to not make sense sometimes, okay? And you're just like, wow, you can't say that Jesus in the nativity scene doesn't make sense. There is a reason for this. How many of you have noticed that in some, I'm going to say like one out of every three nativity scenes, these are just overgeneralizations, and I'm guessing Jesus is just way too big. Anybody notice that? I have a photo to prove this. If you put that baby in Mary, that is not enough space, okay? So, one out of every three nativity scenes, Jesus is just a little too big, okay? So, overgeneralization number three about nativity scenes. Don't hear me wrong. I think nativity scenes are great. These are just funny things I've always noticed. You might begin to look at nativity scenes and notice these things. But this is what I really wanted you to notice today, and it comes with a shepherd, okay? the shepherd... Typically, the shepherd, it's like the next overgeneralization, has a sheep wrapped around his neck, okay? This one actually doesn't. I'm just going to say in most. He does, but I get to this part of the nativity scene, like me and my mom, we would set up the nativity scene every year. It makes sense for the wise men to be there, right? They're rich. They are rich. They bring gifts. Obviously, Joseph and Mary need to be there. They're, you know, they're going to take care of him, okay? Baby Jesus definitely needs to be there. But every year when I make the nativity scene, put it up, I pull out the shepherd, and I just have this moment of why is there a shepherd in the scene? Like, you've got Mary, Joseph, and the next closest person to Jesus is a shepherd and you always have to have a cow. I don't know what that means. They like hamburgers. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, that's, that's kind of the setup that we would end up with. My mom, we always had like the stable, you know. But that's kind of the setup that we would have. And I just want to go back to this. Why is the shepherd there? What, what is significant about the shepherd being part of the nativity scene? Because shepherds in that day, they were typically poor, smelly, boring. Uh, being a shepherd in, first, in the first century was not considered to be a privileged position in society. Okay, you hung out with sheep nonstop every day. And the Jewish leaders often criticized shepherds because the nature of the work just required them to be out in the fields constantly. They could not perform uh, the Sabbath, and they just not, weren't involved with all of the religious things. So for shepherds to be in the most important scene of Christmas, what is the significance? Most importantly, they were just insignificant. They were marginalized. Yet in this nativity scene, the closest person to Jesus minus Mary and Joseph is a shepherd. That's what we're going to look at today. So I want to reread this. We're going to go back to Luke 2. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. And then we'll begin. So verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I want to ask you to join me in prayer today. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. Just want to thank you uh, for this time together. Just want to thank you for the fact that we get to celebrate Christmas. Uh, and just for this nativity scene what it represents for us and just thank you for the questions we're going to get to look into today just open our hearts and just help us to approach you in Jesus name amen oh this is just going to stay here okay hey y'all are good after the message y'all are good y'all are doing great let's give them a hand they're they're awesome after the message I mean I guess that could have been it the message is over just no, y'all need to know why the shepherd's there. Just kidding. All right, so uh, what are the shepherds? Why, why, why is the shepherd here? What is the significance of the shepherd being here? More importantly, what is the shepherd looking for? I want to say this. The shepherd is looking for significance. Okay, we can't really answer for each shepherd that was here in this nativity scene, but I want to say overall, they were searching for significance over their lives. They wanted freedom from Probably all the religious, like, uh, criticism they would get. They were not part of the Sabbath. Yet, they are here, and they believe they are looking at the Messiah. So, I believe they were looking for significance. And they found it. They found the Messiah. But I want to go back to the moment that the angels come out and appear to these shepherds. Because in this moment, when the angels appear... They respond just as everybody else does. It's the same way that Joseph responded. It's the same way that Mary responded, Zachariah. Even like the disciples, anything super spiritual happened, they responded with fear. Okay, they responded with fear. (laughs) Doesn't that just speak to how unaware we are of the spiritual realm? Okay, these, these spiritual beings show up and they respond with fear. But I want to go to John 6 real quick, because as I said, the disciples responded the same way. In John 6, okay, this is when a storm comes. They're out at sea. The disciples are out at sea. The storm comes, and they are fearing for their life because they believe that they're going to drown. But... They then see this figure, the silhouette, out on the ocean, out in the waves. And if you read this passage of Scripture specifically, it's so funny because their fear goes from looking at the storm, looking at the waves and everything else, and they begin to fear this figure who they recognize as Jesus. Which I believe that's similar to what we do. We, we fear things, and then we actually approach Jesus. There's a little bit of fear because we are approaching the God of the universe Okay, but then after this moment, it's when Jesus speaks that their fear goes away. Jesus looks at them and say, he says, it is, I do not be afraid. And the angels do the same thing with the shepherds. The angels in this passage say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's Jesus showing up (laughs) that takes away our fear. So you see, minus Jesus, fear of the spiritual realm and everything else, that's really the only acceptable response we can have because we just can't understand it. Minus Jesus, there is no hope. But with the arrival of Jesus, our fears flee and our joy abounds, our joy comes. Advent, this is what this means Advent and accepting the gospel is a release of fear. and and an acceptance of the freedom, joy, and eagerness to approach Jesus. So, the angels show up, and they display that. They display this freedom, this joy, and this eagerness, and they sing a song and deliver a message to the shepherds. And it's not just a message for the shepherds, it's a message for all people, and the shepherds are told in verse 12 to go and find this baby and deliver this message. Get that. The lowest people, the marginalized and the, those who are insignificant, were told to go deliver the most important message to Mary and Joseph and everyone else that the Messiah was here. Why is that? It's because in God's kingdom there is no marginalization and nobody is insignificant. Why I want you to write down this first point, and it's, it's this, Jesus is approachable to all who believe. i want to say that again, Jesus is approachable to all who believe. In God's kingdom, <laughs> there is nobody who is insignificant, and there is nobody who is marginalized. And through the shepherds, through God sending the shepherds, through God including this shepherd in the nativity scene, we see that Jesus is approachable to all. So I'm curious, do you feel insignificant? Do you feel marginalized? Do you feel like you cannot make a positive impact? Do you feel incapable of approaching Jesus? Maybe you're missing out on part of the gospel. Or maybe even worse, maybe you're the voice in somebody else's life who is telling them that they cannot approach Jesus. Maybe because they're insignificant. Maybe they have a disability. Maybe they have a sin in their life. Maybe you're the voice telling somebody else that they cannot approach Jesus. We have to understand as a church that Jesus is approachable to all believe. In the student ministry right now, we're currently reading through John, and so far one of my favorite messages we've gotten to talk about comes in John 3. It's the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and what really stuck out to me teaching this message to the students was not the conversation itself, even though the conversation is very important and very cool, but it was the symbolism that takes place in this story. John does a lot of symbolism throughout the letter of John, and what he writes about is the light. What we get in this story is Nicodemus, a man who has questions, okay? And at the beginning of the story, he is walking in the darkness, and this darkness is not like the darkness we experience here, even though it is pretty significant. It consumes our days. This darkness doesn't have streetlights, lights. Is only impacted by candlelight, okay? That's the kind of darkness Nicodemus was experiencing. But then what we get in this story is as he goes to Jesus, as he approaches Jesus, he steps into the light. Right? Jesus is the light. John starts off by telling us that Jesus is the light. And what's so cool about this story, okay, is this is the moment that he steps into the light, It's not when he gets the answers to his questions, it's when he approaches Jesus and he steps into the light. So uh, what happens after that is he goes, he's finally now sitting down, he's in the light, he's with Jesus, and this is when his question comes up, okay? And it's funny because Nicodemus, he really doesn't ask the question, he wants to seem super smart, so he makes a statement. He says this, "'Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God.'" For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Don't know if you missed out on what he just did or the translation or what he said. I want to say this again, what he said. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It sounds like a statement, okay, but really for Nicodemus it's a question and if you really just want to summarize this question, he's looking to Jesus and saying, who are you? Okay, so I want you to catch this imagery. He doesn't step into the light whenever he has this question answered. Okay, he stepped into the, the light with a question. Okay, he stepped into the light with this question, who are you, Jesus? But he's already in the light because he's in the presence of Jesus, and he's asking, it, he's asking Jesus the most important question any one of us can ask. I hope you get what I'm saying here. He doesn't have all of his, an- the most important answer, or sorry, question answered, yet he's still able to approach Jesus, and then he gets his answer, Okay. Uh, You can read all of John 3 if you want to, but basically, Jesus looks to this man, to Nicodemus, and says, I am God. Okay, I can't dive into all of it today. I just want to encourage you to read it. And now Nicodemus has his answer and he's in the light. And we really don't know exactly what happens to Nicodemus after this. Okay, the story kind of ends there. He probably walks back into the darkness with an answer. You, that's, that could have been where a relationship with Jesus started. I don't know. But here's what I want you to catch. He stepped into the light before all of his questions were answered. So, what do we learn? We don't have to have all of our questions answered to approach Jesus. So, why do we force ourselves and others to be emotionally, physically, spiritually, and academically excellent before approaching Jesus? Why do we believe that we must achieve things before approaching Jesus? The moment that Jesus came into the world, get this, shepherds were told to deliver the most important message, and shepherds were able to approach Jesus. The moment that Jesus came into the world, shepherds approached him. And it's just funny, like, reading the story and researching it, nobody really knows how many shepherds there are. Okay, we really don't know if, like, these shepherds showed up with all their sheep to the nativity scene. Like, this is probably not really accurate at all. But they were all able, sheep and shepherd, able to approach this nativity scene, approach the scene of Jesus the Messiah being a baby. There were no restrictions, there were no requirements. They were all invited. So I believe that Jesus would look to us and say this. Just approach me. You don't have to have all the questions. You don't have to have all the answers. Just approach me. You don't have to have all your spiritual disciplines in check. Just believe and approach me today. And certainly, especially during this season, don't be the barrier that keeps other people from approaching me. So Jesus is approachable to all who believe so, these poor, smelly, boring shepherds approach Jesus and find him. So, when you look at a nativity scene, okay, when you go home and look and you're critiquing all of my overgeneralizations, notice the shepherd. This fact that she- the shepherd is this close to Jesus, it's just symbolism of how close you get to be with Jesus. So, that's. That's the shepherds. I want to talk about the angels real quick. What were the angels waiting for? To put it simply, they were waiting for what the humans were waiting for. Okay? They were waiting for the Messiah. So you cannot overlook the impact that angels make in this story. So before I continue, I want to talk to you about what we know about angels. Okay? I have this list up here on the screen. And this is all that we know, okay, with uh, biblical support. There's definitely more than this, but this is really the points I want to point out today. First of all, angels are created, spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. Okay, they're very spiritual. They don't have physical bodies. Angels are not omnipresent or omniscient. Okay, I don't know if that's uh, mind-breaking for you, but like even you can talk about demons and Satan. They cannot be everywhere at once. Okay, they are stuck to a certain place at a certain time, and they do not know everything. Angels find great joy in our salvation. This is such a cool point, and it definitely applies to this story. Angels glorify God in our, in our obedience and grieve in our disobedience. Angels guard us. Okay, you probably know that. Angels can provide false doctrine. Okay, that's the demonic influences that we experience. So, because of that, a general rule you have to know, we always back up everything with Scripture, okay? But we always have to go back to Scripture. And finally, this one, and this one just kind of, any time I hear this point, it just kind of messes with me. Angels envy us because they cannot suffer for God. They envy us because they cannot suffer for God. So that's an overall list of what we're working with here with these angels so, this is what I want you to see in this story. First of all, this moment that the angels appear to these shepherds, it, it, it's divine. Okay? They, they're not physical beings that we can see. So, for uh, shepherds to see these angels, it was a divine moment. It was the hand of God doing that. Okay? Secondly, they're not omnipresent or omniscient. So, the arrival of the Messiah was just as much surprising and exciting and joyful for them as it was for all the humans looking for a savior. Okay, in fact, there were probably moments when they were just looking down at us and they were just like, when is God going to fix the situation for these humans? But they know God always delivers. So we see, and this is so cool to me, that Advent isn't just for humanity. (laughs) Philip has described that Advent is about remembering and anticipating Jesus. Okay, you've seen this point multiple times now. And in this story, we find that Advent is for all of creation, okay? It's for the spiritual and the physical. All of creation has been looking to the day that Jesus would arrive, and now all of creation remembers that day, and we all anticipate the day that he returns, all of the spiritual and physical world. And here's what's so cool. That creates joy. And that joy in the story for the angels and for the shepherds creates two things. First of all, it creates a song, okay, the song that we'll look at today, and then the witness. So this song, have you ever wondered what angels singing would be like? Okay, we really don't know. There's really not much biblical support. You know, like if you ask the question, does the essence of an angel impact the spectrum of the song? We, we, just, we don't really know the answers to all the questions on what this was like. But in my studies and comment, commentaries that I looked at, there was just this constant thing that happens before angels sing. There was a common catalyst that takes place before an angel sings in Scripture, and that is just being the fulfillment, the arrival of joy. Anytime this happens, we find angels singing. And in the story, the angels sing. They long for salvation, and they found that salvation in a manger, so they sing, and we find that humanity, the shepherds, join them in this message and in this song. And they sing this song together, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we find this joy just wasn't for the angels. It was for all of the physical and spiritual world. The shepherds were filled with joy too. And as a result, both the angels and the shepherds served as witnesses of the birth of Jesus. This is so cool. The angels told the shepherds, and then the shepherds went and told Joseph and Mary, and then they left from there and went to go tell everybody else. And what had they witnessed? Well, (laughs) the message that the angels give the shepherds, it's really like a three-point message. Okay, so I just want to read this. This is in Luke uh, 2, 11 through 12. It says this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I want to read this again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, those can be your three points in this message. First of all, the first point being the Savior has come. Who is the Savior? He's the one who will save us from all of our sins. The Savior who will take all of our guilt away. The Savior who will die on a cross. And this is what we know about this. Since he is our Savior, we do not have to carry the weight of our sin and brokenness anymore. The second point being that the Christ has come. They have been looking for the Messiah. And Christ has come to fulfill all all of our hopes. The one who was promised has now arrived. God keeps his promises. He's the long-predicted, long-awaited, and the one anointed above all others. He'll be the final anointed king, the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. So here's what we can take away from him. Being the Christ, we do not have to wait for our salvation anymore. Because our salvation is found in Jesus. And the third point being this, he is the Lord, okay? He's the sovereign God, the Lord who will defeat all of our enemies and make us safe and satisfied forever. The ruler, the sovereign, the long-awaited, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Lord of the universe. We do not have to worry because Jesus controls the universe. He's the sovereign God. So, the angels and the shepherds were overjoyed. They got to deliver this message. And we are to follow in their example. They were witnesses to Mary. And what was Mary awaiting for? I believe she was waiting for confirmation. I just want you to think about her story, okay? She, she got told by an angel, okay, that being a virgin, she would have a baby. And this baby would be the Messiah, Okay, and then if you think about all the craziness that has happened since then, okay, they traveled forever, okay, I can't imagine walking as far as they did, okay, she went through typical labor, okay, she carried a baby in her womb, okay, and she hasn't seen, she really hasn't experienced any of this, like, the angels, like, I just wonder if she was longing to see something again to confirm that everything that she had heard was true, right? So I believe that Mary was just sitting there waiting for confirmation as she looked passionately down at this baby, okay? She was just longing for confirmation. And she just keeps looking down at this baby. And this baby sits in a manger, I want you to understand what a manger is. A manger is a feeding trough, okay? Animals fed out of this. And she places her baby in a manger, and I guess this can be my next overgeneralization in every nativity scene I've ever seen. Mary just looks down so passionately at this baby Jesus. And I believe she was doing this before the confirmation and after, and she's looking at this baby in a feeding trough. And I want you to catch this. The, the shepherds finally show up. And they have this message. They have this experience. The, these shepherds show up and say, hey look, we just saw angels. And they were singing. And they gave us this message to deliver. And this message being that your baby, the one lying in this manger, is the Messiah. Okay, I want you to catch what happens in Mary's heart there. She kind of knows this. She has faith. uh, There's like, she just, I believe she trusts God enough to, you know, like this is the Messiah. But God's sovereignty wouldn't allow this confirmation in her life. God sends messengers to come and tell Mary that this is the Messiah. And it confirms it to her in her heart. And she looks down, now with these shepherds and these sheep here, and she's looking at Jesus in a feeding trough. Joshua, why do you keep saying feeding trough? Okay? Here, catch this. Instead of feeling the shame, the fear, and guilt of a, of a sinner who doesn't understand the gospel, she as a God looks at this and she feels joy. Okay? Her baby's in a feeding trough. She cherishes, cherishes the message from the angels and the shepherds in her heart because she believes. She looks and she knows. And what does she believe? She believes that Jesus is the Savior for all who believe. She believes this. She, she looks down and now she knows. She knew this before. She now has confirmation and she still knows that Jesus is the Savior for all who believe. She knows that all of the world needs this baby Jesus So I want to go and read because he's in a feeding trough and I don't know if Mary completely understood the symbolism here of what's happening but later on in Jesus' ministry Jesus knows he knows who he is and he knows what he's going to deliver. So I want us to read this this is John 6:53 through 58. And this is John, Jesus talking to a group of people who do not understand who he is. All right, I want to read this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. This connects us to the entire previous series we've been working on in Exodus. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died, Whoever feeds on this bread, whoever feeds on me, Jesus says, will live forever. So I want you to catch the symbolism. Mary is looking at baby Jesus in a feeding trough. Do you see that symbolism there? Jesus, us feeding off Jesus, us knowing Jesus, us approaching him and being in his presence. That is what we feed off of. And in this manger, in this nativity scene, we get that symbolism. And this is where his suffering, the symbolism starts. It also starts when you think about uh, just the motel. Okay, for our sake, Jesus becomes poor. And instead of starting off in a palace or in a motel, he starts off in a manger. The no vacancy signs over all the motels in bethlehem were for your sake. I want you to get that. They were for your sake, and just the beginning of the suffering that Jesus would go through for us. And our response is to be one like Mary's, one of joy. Jesus suffered so that we could have joy. I want us to read Mary's response. This comes in Luke 2:19. I believe, like, if you want to talk about what should our attitude be like during Advent, what should we be doing, I believe this is it right here. It says this, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So, I'm going to use different wording here but really we need to remember okay and that's what happens when she treasures it up she remembers okay and then she conversed okay this is the pondering that takes place I want to talk about these two actions real quick because I believe this is the attitude we should have during this holiday season first of all she remembered the message what message well it's the three point one that I just discussed okay Jesus is Savior he's Christ and he's Lord that's what she remembered. She stored this in her mind. She did not forget this. And then she conversed. Okay, she this basically means she was talking to herself. Okay, I don't know about some of you, but I know some of you do this. You talk to yourselves. Okay, uh, that what's happening here, she's having this inner conversation in herself. And she is basically saying over and over and over again, my Messiah has arrived if we do not have this inner conversation in us, what happens is we forget. We forget. So I believe that's the attitude that we should have during Advent. We should just remember and we should converse. There should be these inner conversations that we're having and we should be having these conversations with each other. So will we do this church? Because when we do this, we have the peace of God. We have peace with ourselves and peace with others. I want to ask that you'll join me in prayer. Dear Lord, just want to thank you for this day. Just want to thank you for bringing us all here. Thank you for the nativity scene and what it symbolizes in us. Um, Just first of all, the shepherd and that we get to approach Jesus and uh, just be with him. I want to pray that going from here, God, that we would just continue to remember and converse, just continue to have this inner conversation that you have arrived, you are our Messiah, and we get to approach you. Help us to do that this holiday season, in Jesus' name, amen.